This is um, I believe that this is your um Dave's last sermon as senior pastor. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So, um, Dave, I've always wanted to say this. So Dave's going to do the sermon this morning through interpretive dance for something different. <laughs> Yes, it was, the 25th was actually going to be my last, but in planning the, um, the changeover Sunday, uh, I ended up uh, giving that to David Elvery, who's from QB, who's going to be coming and doing the commissioning service for Lee on that day. I'll probably still have something to say, I usually do, but it won't be very long. Um, but yeah, today is the last sermon that I will give you as senior pastor after 23 years which is kind of weird, all right? So if I get emotional, just talk amongst yourselves. Uh, but I'll, I'll do my best. I think um, wh- one of the things I did last year was I started to go through um, the Torah in my quiet time and you say to me, why would you do that? Why would you torture yourself? There is so much good stuff in the Old Testament that, and we... We, we discard it because sometimes we don't understand it. And I was in Numbers, and you know, there's, so much, there's, so, there's so much in Numbers, and I, and I, love, I love Moses because in, in a lot of ways, Moses, Joshua, and David are like the archetypes of what Jesus would be. They were like images of what the Christ would be to the people in the Old Testament. And so... Um, Seeing how Moses dealt with problems was just, and, 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 and moving forward in what he believed God had for him, to me was very encouraging. And uh, anyway, I went to a, a, a scripture union thing on, um, in November uh, to, to do some, um, just do a, a devotional with the field development managers and I used these three chapters and I thought, oh, that would be a good sermon series to finish with. And so this one is my last one. And as I'm preparing it, I am talking to myself as much as I am to you with this, which is kind of ironic, but it's kind of God. That's what he does. Um, so um, in, we are in Numbers 13. And you'll know, you'll know the passage because it's about when the 12, uh, 12 heads of the tribes of Israel go and uh, scout out the land for the promise that God has for them. So it's a, it's a relatively long passage, but I will read it to you anyway. Uh, Numbers 13, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert to Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names, from the tribe of Reuben, Shemua from Zakua. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephil. Jeph- Don't ever name your children these names, people. <laughs> From the tribe of Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, son of Rephu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadel, son of Sodi. From the tribe of Manasseh, a tribe of Joseph. Gadai, son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gamel, I. From the tribe of Asher, Sethuah, son of Michael. 
from the tribe of Naphtali, Nap, Nap, uh, Nap, yeah, whatever he is, Vos, from the son, son of Vosti, from the tribe of Gad, Gerul, son of Machai. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. That's why later on in the book you see Joshua called Joshua, son of Nun, is because at this point Joshua's name was changed. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and onto the hill country and see what the land is like and whether people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season of the first, gri- first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin and as far as Rehob towards Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Haniah, oh good grief, Seshai and Talmel, Talmai, the descendants of Anak lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because the cluster of grapes the Israelites had cut off there, at the end of the 40 days they returned from exploring the land. Eshkol just means cluster. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, and they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it, goes, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here, here is its fruit. But the people who live here are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And, we, they, and they are spread among the Israelites. And they, and, they, sorry, and they spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. And the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. So here's a big move that these guys have got to make. They've been in exile in Egypt for 400 years. You've got to remember this land they're taking, they are taking it back from uh, the people who have gradually meandered in there over the 400-year period. In fact, one of the places that this spy party went to was actually went to the graves of Abraham, Rebekah, Leah, and Isaac. So they went back into the land, explored the cities, the people, but they also visited their ancestors in, on those grave sites when they went there. So their linkage to the land was broken because of this exile in Egypt, but God was saying, I want you to take it back. I want you to, to re-inhabit it. 
And a lot of times when we look at the future, the future can seem rather daunting, can't it? It can seem, sometimes it can seem overwhelming. I remember when I, I first, when the Lord first spoke to me about being a pastor, I worked as a, in, a, in the railway department for 10 years, uh, 14 years actually, four years as an, as an apprentice and 10 years in a trade. Uh, and I was contemplating doing some study and I was, I was toing and froing and realized that the choice that I made had to be dependent upon what God wanted me to do. So the options were I go and do some um, engineering in electrical because that was my trade because I kind of wanted to get off the tools and get more into that space or do I go down the Bible college route because I'm not one to waste time. I don't like wasting time and I don't like wasting money on on stuff that I'm not going to use. So I'm asking the Lord, what should I do? What should I do? And I remember getting to Albion Station when I was going into work. I was at the front of the train. It was an electric and the doors opened. And just at that point, I really felt the Lord say to me, I want you to go into pastoral ministry. And I'm like, that's going to be interesting, isn't it? And I remember talking to Leanne about it. And she just said to me, I married a electrician. I didn't marry a pastor. That's fair. Uh, Her dad had studied as a Methodist minister uh, and never took up a pastorate because there was all sorts of rules and regulations about whether you could date somebody while you were studying and he chose to date my mother-in-law rather than continue his study, which Leanne's grateful for because she wouldn't be here otherwise. Um, But there was all kind of weird rules around that. And, And I remember her and I talking a lot about it I remember the leadership approaching me and asking me. When I, when I said to them, I think this is what God said, they said to me, well, we've felt that for a while, but we wanted, to, we wanted God to talk to you about it. We didn't want to plant the seed in your brain. And then it kind of escalated from there. And so began a big change. And, and you, don't, you don't know the, 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 the fear that was in me when I started to go to Bible college. That's where I met Pete, where Pete and I were partners in crime at Bible college. Um, we were probably the rabble, I don't know. We, we stirred a lot, of, a lot of lecturers up, didn't we? <laughs> but, but I can remember, I can remember going and submitting my first assignment and just getting a pass for it and thinking, oh, I'm in the wrong game here. What am I doing? Who am I kidding? But then visiting the, the, the academic dean and, and sorting through that and then coming to a point where I actually enjoyed what I was doing. I can remember my preaching. I used to preach at the church and, I, and, and you people were so gracious to me. I threw my first three years of preaching out. I'm thinking there's no point in going back to that because that was rubbish. I just felt that it was, it was such a, a monumental thing to get over, to, to try and do that. And when God asks you to do something new, there, there's no kind of guarantees that you're just going to fall into it and it's just going to be, you know, na- you know you, you be natural and all that sort of stuff. I remember working with somebody, I don't know whether you guys remember John Metyard, but I remember working with John, and, and John, John used to, I used to see John driving around the streets with his textbook on his steering wheel, reading it while he was driving, and, um, and he used to ha- you hardly do any, any research, and he would get sevens for everything. And, and, I, and me, it was just, it was always hard work, hard work, hard work. Just had to, had to slog at it. It wasn't as if it was easy. But I don't know whether you've faced areas like that in your life. And the next thing that God might be calling you to do might be hard. 
But what I find from this story is that God didn't ask the 12 who went into the land to make an assessment as to whether it could be done. He asked them to go into, into the land to do like a situation report, a sit rep. That's what he asked them to do. Go in with your eyes open, have a look around so that we can be strategic in how we enter the land. Because we see this in Moses' language. He says, are the cities fortified? Are they not? Is the soil uh, fertile? Is it not? Are they, are, is there food? Is there not? What are the people like? All of those sorts of things. And so when it, comes to, when it comes to moving forward, it's not unspiritual to look forward and get a little bit of a lay of the land. That, in fact, is responsible. And so when we move forward, sometimes, sometimes we think that the most spiritual thing to do is to just, you know, jump right in. I actually don't think that is the most spiritual thing to do sometimes. The spiritual thing to do is to get a bit of a bit of a an understanding of what's going on out there before you make that move. The unspiritual thing to do is to, in fact, say to God, "I can't possibly do that," or "Surely there's somebody else better equipped to do that," or "Why would you ask me to do that?" These are probably there are probably reasons behind all of that, but He's asking you for a reason. He's asking you to move into that next phase for a reason. And as we come to the 25th, for me, I feel, I feel sad. Not sad in a bad way, but just sad because in a lot of ways, my role here or my, my relationship with some of you may change a little bit. And I've journeyed with some of you all of your life. I mean, with Lee, I've journeyed with him all of his life. I remember when he was born, for crying out loud. We, we, Leanne and I were going through some photos. Mark and Jenny Lone gave us some photos that they'd assembled from a while ago. And, and we were going through some photos yesterday. And here, here, back in 2010, is Lee's baptism. I'll try and bring that along in a fortnight's time. Lee's baptism. And it was, it was actually one Sunday where we had a lot of people baptized down at the waterfront. And that photo ended up on the QB front page because there was just so many who got baptized that day. I think Katie was in that group too. And, and you know, and, and we found a photo. Where, is Eli here today? Found a photo made of you about two years old. I'll show you on the QT, all right? <laughs> so it's like... It's like for a lot of you, I've walked with you for so long. So in some ways, it's a bit sad, but in some ways, I'm really excited because I just think that handing the baton over to Lee is the right thing to do. So I'm in this conflicted space where I think it's right. I'm, well, I'm sorry, I know it's right, but, um, but I know change is happening. And, and for you, you know, for all of us, change, change happens. Life changes. Kids grow up. Careers change. God asks us to do new things. We have life experience that we can pass on to others, and God says, well, you do that. That's part of what the Scriptures talk about, the, the younger learning from the older. The older have to be available so that the younger can talk to them, so that they can glean from them just these life lessons. 
And so, um, as, as, as Moses asks these guys to go there, he's not saying, tell me whether this is the right thing to do or whether we should do it. He's saying, give me as much information as we possibly need so that we can make decisions that are going to put us in the best place to move forward. So under-preparing is not spiritual. Folks, over-preparing and over-planning is not spiritual either because that takes out the element of God walking with you. I mean, do we not do these things in the strength of God? Was Moses not saying to them, God, and Caleb said this, says this certainly towards the end of the passage, is not God with us? We can surely do this. Why does he say that? Because he knows there is a supernatural element to what they're doing. And you and I, if the Spirit of God is alive and well in us, there is a supernatural element to what God can do through us as we move forward. So God, God says, you know, um, be prepared. And he chooses, it's interesting that he names all the people. Some names you wouldn't give to your children, but, but he names them. And I think he names them for a reason so that later on people can't say, oh, you didn't really send out the 12, you sent out your own people. No, these are the people that we sent out. And it was representative and they were people who were leaders in their community. We can't obviously send everybody in. We need to send some people to scope it out and these are the best people we've got. And so he does that and these 12 tribes come back and... There's varying takes. Isn't it amazing how 12 people can see the same situation and come back with 12 different recommendations? Have you ever wondered why that is? We all bring to the table our past experience, our fears. We all bring to the table stuff that we've had to deal with over our life and if something reminds us of that then immediately our brain goes to this space where it's like well it reminds me of that bad situation so therefore it must be like that situation so therefore I must avoid it but all that conflating all that connection is just the similarity of what you see but it may not be what others see and this is so this is why it's so important, and I think this is why um, Moses did it this way. It's why it's so important to have those discussions with others who see the same thing. Get their perspective on what they see. Because surely in this group, some people missed it, didn't they? Some people said, like Caleb and Joshua said, yeah, man, this is great. It's, it's going to be hard, but we can do it. I don't know why they said that. The others said, oh, man, this is too hard. We can't possibly do this. The irony is, earlier on in the story, when back two, two chapters ago in, in, in chapter 11, the, the people were complaining about the manna and about the food that was getting dropped from the sky and saying, Oh, if we were only back in Egypt, we were fed. You know, we had melons and we had grapes and we had this and we had that. 
They were complaining about what they didn't have, forgetting, of course, that they were working seven days a week, forgetting, of course, that they were slaves with hard labour, forgetting, of course, that Pharaoh got cranky at them and said, well, I'm not even going to supply the materials you need to make the bricks. You've got to go and find it as well as make the bricks. And we don't want production to drop. Isn't it amazing how in our minds we get selective about those things too? You know, the good old days. There was some good in the old days for sure, but were the problems any less than now? Probably not. We just choose to forget them. Or they're on the back burner. Or whatever it may be. But anyway... God, God used those 12 to, 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 go, and, to go and do that. So, um, so then there's, there's obviously this, this preparedness. So in verses 17 to 20, it's important to be well prepared and well informed. I should be at slide three. That's the one, yes. It's important to be well prepared, well informed. You can only operate with the information you've got. There comes a time where you have to step forward. The, as a church... You guys, are, we are taking a step of faith in a leadership change. We are taking a step of faith by building a childcare centre out the side here. We are taking a step of faith with some of the ministries that we have because we want to share the good news with people uh, beyond our four walls. Why do we do that? Because God says he wants us to share the good news. He wants us to be salt and light in our community. He's revealed these things to us. So we move forward in a step of faith. Nothing is guaranteed. Nothing is guaranteed. But what is guaranteed is that God said he will walk with us through all of these things. And so doing that, doing that, that, that recce, that situation report, is in fact a big part of, of, of the plan. I have a saying in my family, and they'll, they'll tell you this, that I don't like surprises the only time I like surprises is Christmas and birthdays, and that's it. If I get a surprise, I haven't done my homework. Sometimes th- surprises do happen, like the car blows up, or whatever, or, you know, I buy, I buy anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and... And so surprises do happen, which is why you should have an emergency fund, going back to some financial planning. But we should have, surprises do happen, but I don't like them. And, and sometimes it means God just gives us a little piece of the puzzle and we have to move forward on that. I knew that when I was offered this last call in 20, uh, 2019, that it was going to be my last one. I knew when that vote came in, I knew it was my last one. The Lord said to me, that's it. This is the last five years. I obviously didn't tell you that because I didn't want you to think, oh, what's he going to do next? But I started to talk about it and ask the Lord, what should I do? And it was through, I remember when we had the 24-7 prayer and the Lord just spoke to me very clearly about, it's time. he used those words of where, where the Lord said to Peter, come out, get out of the boat. He said to me, it's time to get out of the boat. It's time to step and move forward. Don't ignore those moments, folks. Don't ignore those times when the Lord asks you to move forward. When something in Scripture jumps out at you, when something that he tells you is very clear, that, lo- that, that, that reamer word 
that, that word of God through his Holy Spirit speaking to you. Or you might be reading the Bible and something just jumps out at you and you go, you know what, I need to, I need to follow that through to its natural conclusion because I feel like the Lord's speaking to me through that. But the problem is, any change is hard. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that any change is hard? The well-worn groove of habit is way easier than the discipline of change. I know when, when, we, when, when we go four-wheel driving, and especially when you go four-wheel driving up in some of the, the, the sandy country, you usually find that there are these two well-worn grooves through the dune or whatever. And usually, all you've got to do is give it a little bit of juice and go through there and your car will follow the groove. But the problem is, is if somebody before you has sort of deviated and the groove goes off the side of a cliff or into a tree, you obviously don't want to follow that groove. So the hard part is getting out of the groove. And sometimes it takes a little bit of effort to do that. And so the habits that you have, the things that you've been taught can sometimes be like that well-worn groove that you just slot into automatically because it's what you've done. But the transforming work of God is actually saying to us, be shaped by what he asks you to do, even if it's hard. And the lie is, I can't do it. The lie is, I can't do it. And this is the lie that these guys came up against. They, they um, in, in verses 21 to 25, they start talking about, you know, um, all the things that they've seen. And it's, and it's just grand and it's like in their mind they've seen all these good things. Physically they've seen all these good things. They've seen the fertile soil, they've seen the grapes, they've seen everything. And yes, there's some big people, yes, there's some large people, yes, there's some fortified cities. But by and large, it's a pretty good place. It's not going to be a cakewalk, but it's going to be okay. And so the lie creeps in in the following verses that says, we can't do this. It's too hard. Do you know, you know that, that time where you have the dream of what it could be and then either you come back down to earth or you start sharing that dream with somebody and they start hosing that dream down? Have you ever had that happen to you? You get so excited about something or something that, that, that you should do and then somebody just you know, pulls the, 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 the doubter hose out and... Hoses it down. You think, well, I'm not sharing that with that person again. Find somebody else who's... You want somebody who's going to encourage you in the dream, but be a realist as well, obviously. But, but these, these surprises, um, that, that, this, 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 this uh, coming together and figuring out what should we do moving forward. I must admit, in my, in my life, I've had many people who have been encouragers and those who have been doubt hoses. And it's figuring out, it's figuring out what, what, is, what is God saying? What's, what's the real cost? And should I pursue it? And you know what? The Lord has always been gracious, and he's, he'll be gracious to you as well. Always been gracious to share with you what he wants you to do and what he desires of you. So, 
If we go to verse 26, this is where things start to go downhill. In any change in our life, we have to choose what we're going to focus on. Now, Caleb and Joshua, they're focusing on grapes, fertile soil, good outcomes. The other 10 are focusing on big guys, fortified cities, really hard. Have you ever noticed that? That sometimes things in our life, we can be glass half full or glass half empty. We can go, oh man, this is, this is just way too hard or I can do this. And this, this discussion happens. I can remember at the end of, at the end of last year, you know we had the disappointment of having to cancel our carols because of, um, uh, because of the, the wet ground and all the stuff. We had um, our food cart. People were saying, we, we, we can't come. We, can't find, we, we, we need to make a call on this earlier. So we had to make the call to, to do it. I was disappointed because our music guys had prepared. There'd been a lot of preparation in this. And our plan was that we would... We would extend an offer for Alpha at the Carols and have a, a, a really good Alpha course, good-sized Alpha course this year. Well, that didn't happen because we didn't have the Carols. But I remember we, we said to people, well, we can't have the Carols, but can you invite people along on Christmas Eve to our Christmas Eve service and we will extend an offer to Alpha there. So by our stats, our Christmas Eve service was our highest attended December service. So thank you to those who invited people to that. But also, too, we have now, we running now, the largest Alpha class we have ever run. Because I had five people on that day come to me and say, can I do Alpha? And I said, oh, let me think about that. No, I didn't. I said, of course you can. Of course you can. So we started the Wednesday straight after New Year. And we've got probably the largest, we've got the largest alpha class that we've ever had. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, man, this is a monumental failure. The plan that I had was that we were going to have an on-ramp here for people um, coming to alpha. And God did it in spite of me. Kind of puts into perspective that, that, that Isaiah passage, doesn't it? God's plans are not our plans. God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than ours. He knows what he's doing, folks. He knows exactly what he's doing. And so we have to be careful what we focus on. Do we focus on where he's at work or do we focus on all the negative stuff that's happening around about us? Because I can tell you there is always going to be negative stuff. If your idea of utopia is eliminating all the negative stuff out of your life, can I tell you it is never going to happen. There's always going to be stuff that you don't like. There's always going to be conflict or or problems or issues, they will always be there. The reality of what God calls us to is a place of peace in the center of all of that. And peace comes from Him. Peace comes by walking with Him. Peace comes by saying to the Lord, how do you see this situation? What do you want to do in this situation? What's your plan? Guide me, direct me, give me the strength that I need for all of the obstacles that I need to face today and come from that place of peace, that place of being in the center. So then we get to verse 30 and we, I love Caleb. Caleb just says, yeah, it's hard, but we can surely do it. Why is it that this guy sees it this way? 
It's because he comes from a place of peace, folks. He comes from a place of being in that center with the Lord. He comes from a place. He and Joshua know there's obstacles, but they know that God is bigger than that. Folks, I can't help but but think that we we actually become what we focus on. This is a, a quote by John Mark Comer. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. Um, one of our guys from QB put this in his newsletter on Wednesday, but on the Tuesday I walked into the into our house for lunch and Katie was watching a video by John Mark Comer and I walked in right when he was saying this on the video and I'm thinking, yes, Lord, you need me to, to share this today. And this is what he says, the more like Jesus we are and the more like the image of God we are, the more people see of God's glory because what you give your attention to is the person you become. What you give your attention to, folks, is your choice. You know that YouTube algorithm that keeps discerning what you watch and then spitting out other videos so that can kind of just reinforce, yeah, I'm right. I'm right because all these other YouTubers are saying this. Or whatever. It's not that. It's just that that's what we choose to see and focus on. See, when we choose to focus on the Father, when we choose to give him priority of place in our life, when we choose to say yes to him and not no, regardless how big the obstacles are, he walks with us to overcome them. And that's what Caleb saw. So, our series, well, my, the last three series has, has been overcoming fear of. So the first one was um, overcoming fear of not having enough. Uh, the second one was overcoming fear of leadership. I was thinking about overcoming forgetting things because Johnny Coleman thought that was a good subject, but I thought I don't have time for that. And then <laughs> today is uh, overcoming fear of the future. So how do I do that? So... From the passage, let's look at what happens when Caleb says, yes, we can do it. Let's look at what happens within, within the, 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 the discussion of, of the, the, those that remain. So from verse 31 through to 33, it gives us very clear understanding. It says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. There was a clear lack of faith. There was a clear inability to see what God was doing. Now, faithfulness is not um, uh, mindless action, all right? Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It comes from the Word of God to us, either through His Word or an instruction, and then we act on that in His strength, not our own. So the lack of faith comes from the fact that Moses said, don't tell me whether it can be done, tell me what the obstacles are. So that's the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened was fear grew. When there is lack of faith, fear multiplies. And fear is a problem, folks. Do you know there are 365 times in the Bible where it says, do not fear, do not be afraid. One for every day of the week. God knows fear is a problem for us. And that's why he says, don't fear, I'm with you, I'm walking with you. But these guys, they feared. The second thing they did, sorry, the third thing they did 
was they evaluated things by human means. How often do we look at a situation and go, can't be done, can't be done, impossible? How often do we do that? Rather than saying, Lord, what, how do you see it? What are you doing here? Let's go to the next one. Then exaggeration. This is the bit, and I love this. You know, they said, you know, uh, the land we explore devours those living in it. Is that exaggeration? Is that what they saw? All the people we saw there are of great size. Well, maybe some were, but maybe not all. And then we saw the Nephilim. If you go back to Genesis 6, you see this little, I think it's the first six verses or four, four verses of Genesis 6 that talk about the Nephilim where the sons of God were captivated, captivated by the daughters of man and they came down and procreated with them and they created the Nephilim. And there's some argument to be had that the evil spirits or the, the, um, some of the spiritual issues that were going on back then were tied into that, the beginnings of things happening there. So what these guys are saying is, not only are they huge, not only are they great, but they are spiritually huge. We can't possibly do it. And the next thing they did was they accrued allies. It says they started spreading word amongst others, you know, like, we can't do it. It's big. It's huge. We'll create some allies to support our argument. And then the next thing they did, they didn't move. Inaction, self-sabotage, or maybe worse. Folks, these same things happen to us when we get afraid. We lack faith. Then fear moves in. Then we start to evaluate by human means and say, I couldn't possibly do that. Then we exaggerate because it makes our argument look better. Then we look for others who agree with us, whether they're virtual or real. And then that leads to inaction. Self-sabotage. Or worse, how many crimes do we see on the news of late where people commit crimes because they have a particular view of the world that is not real. So how do we overcome these? Let's, I'm going to give it my best crack here. Lack of faith. In Philippians 4, Paul gives the Philippians a great, a great tool. He says, in all things give thanks. If you wake up in the morning and you don't know what to say to God, can I encourage you? The first thing you could say to him is, thank you, Lord. Thank you for today. Thank you for the job that I have. Thank you for the people in my life. Thank you for the provision that you've given me. Thank you that you are, your promise to walk with me is real. He's walking with you. Thankfulness is such a powerful tool. Thankfulness centers us into this place 
of knowing and understanding that God is in the center of our life. If you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is turn the radio on or whatever, and you're just again, you're just bombarded with the troubles of this world, where's your mind going to go? Just start by th- being thankful. If you read your Bible in the morning, that's great. If you haven't got time to read your Bible, just do. Just be thankful as you as you having your breakfast or cleaning your teeth or jumping in your car or walking to work or whatever you're doing. Make that an act for the day. Let your faith build because you're thankful for the, to the Father. Fear. God instructs us to not be afraid. 365 times in the Bible, a passage for every day of the year, use scripture, prayer, and encouragement of others to overcome fear. I don't know how many times I've faced an issue, I've faced a problem, I've faced a conflict or whatever, And as I've opened my Bible, where I'm up to, God provides what I need. Or I've said to him, I need, I don't know what to do here. I need your instruction in this. Might not be that day, might not be the next day. But usually it's within the week or the fortnight, something happens. Oftentimes I forget that I've asked that and then I get, (laughs) the Lord tells me what to do and I'm like, Oh, yeah, I asked about that, didn't I? I mean, why not ask him? Why not ask him to to, to help us to overcome this fear? Third thing, evaluating by human means only. Putting God first is hard when it requires pain or sacrifice, but ask him every day for the power and the willingness to do that. How do I view things through the lens of God? How do I view things in the world, do I see, and it's easy, it's easy when we, um, when we see um, uh, others. Sometimes we can see people as, as pains or, or irritants. Do we see them as people that were created in the image of God? Do we see them as people who need help or who just need someone to talk to? Oftentimes, our judgment of others or our judgment of situations is extremely self-centric. And God says, I don't want that to be the case. I want it to be theocentric. I want it to be centered around how he views things. I was being, I've been reading Thessalonians and I'm just, there's a lot of false teaching going on in the Thessalonian church. And in chapter one, Paul is just so gracious in how he deals with these folks who are just theologically fallen off the rails i mean in human means you'd say to him come on come on folks let's get it together but he doesn't he encourages them he tells them where they're doing well and then he starts to shape their thinking and say this bit that you're thinking here about you know end times is not right this is how it's going to be so let's not evaluate by human means let's evaluate by godly means let's go to the next one exaggeration this is a manifestation of fear be accountable to those who love you and listen to their words of support and encouragement and keep moving forward don't just listen to people who agree with you listen to people who love you and who will tell you whether your ideas are wacky or whether your thinking's a bit off the rails in love of course this is the this is the invitation challenge matrix we, we feel safe with that person to the point where we know if they say something that's challenging to us we know it's not to put us down it's in fact to let us grow 
Cultivate those relationships. Cultivate those people in your life. Fifthly, a curing allies. This is a sign of the flesh. And, and you know, where, where Paul talks about the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, he also talks about the fruit of the flesh. And one of those is factionalism. It's easy to get somebody who agrees with you on a particular topic to ally with you to oppose somebody else. But can I tell you, the enemy of my enemy is not your friend. Because the topic will change and the landscape will change. That's why we need to be driven by values, by, by, by godly characteristics, not by who agrees with us. And sixthly, inaction or sabotage. God's kingdom is always advancing. He'd rather do it, it should we do it with you than in spite of you. Catch the wave of what God is doing in your life and ride it with enthusiasm. If we don't move forward, things in, in an effort for things to stay the same, folks, they won't stay the same because everybody else around us will move forward without us. And then we will be left on this island by ourselves wondering where everybody went. Moving forward is difficult. Change is difficult. I'm not trying to downplay that in any way, shape or form. But change comes from God. God brings change. Change in your life, change in mine, change in our community. I mean, look at, our, look at our society. Our society has been changing forever and ever and ever. We need to figure out how do we connect with a community that is forever changing with, with an unchanging gospel message. That's our mission. That's what God's called us to do. And can I encourage you, as Lee comes on board, Lee is a capable guy. He's a great guy. And I've been able to, I've, it's been a privilege working with him for 11 years. But folks, he isn't Jesus. He can't do everything. The body is, the body is you and I. The body is you and I working together. And what I say to Lee is he's here in this role because he brings something that nobody else can. And he needs to operate in that space, not in every other space. Because there are things that you bring that only you can bring. And you need to operate in that space. Is it hard? Yeah. Is it worthwhile? You betcha. Absolutely. The, the land that God had for these guys was fantastic. The shame was they spent 40 years in the wilderness till I had to, till I managed to get there. The, the call God has for us is let's keep moving forward in all that he has for us, regardless of what the future holds. And let's do that together as his children. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for just the, 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 this story, Lord, that highlights how, how amazing you are in equipping your people to overcome even some of the hardest obstacles that they face in their life. And Father, I'm not sure what obstacles we face, what change is coming for us, what things that we are anxious over or about. But Father, we just want to bring those to you today. 
whatever has been sparked in your mind as I've been speaking today, that thing that you've been anxious over, that thing you've been fearful of, that future decision that maybe you have to make, or something that you just so desperately desire that hasn't materialized yet. Can I just encourage you? Don't worry about it. Just give it to God this morning as we pray. And let him do his providing work in your life. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for all of these things that we bring before you this morning, all of these things that are on our mind and on our heart. We pray that you would help us to walk as children of the King as if we trust you in them. And Lord, as we move forward, we ask that you would give us confidence and the grace to be thankful and trusting of you in all of these areas. God, we we just want to thank you for walking with us so far. We wouldn't be where we are if it wasn't for you. And so, God, we want to just stop and acknowledge that this morning. But we also want to acknowledge, Lord, that what you are calling us into collectively as a church and individually that you are walking with us in that as well and so we we thank you for that we give you glory for that and we trust you in that and we bless you lord for our time today in jesus name amen